There is groups that want to go back to business as usual and think nothing's changed. And that is the nature of our industry. We love to meet, we love being in the industry because we like people. Now, our customers may think a bit differently. And I think that's the conversation that we need to have. Welcome to Upon Arrival, a show that uncovers stories and strategies that make up all the moving parts of business events tourism with me, Adelaine Ung. In this final first anniversary episode, I catch up with one of my favorite podcast guests, who was also right there at my launch. Karen Bollinger is someone who combines strategic and managerial insights with plenty of heart and humanity. Karen is recognized for putting Melbourne on the map for business tourism and delivering the city's most successful years on record. But significantly for me, Karen shared a story that challenged my beliefs about mental health in a podcast conversation a year ago that was one of those that has you thinking long after the chat has ended. Well, fast forward a year later, and we seem to have moved again where our mental health is concerned, thanks to the extended lockdowns and the further postponement of our freedoms for travel and events. I wondered how Karen, someone skilled in business transformation, strategic planning and leading teams, among many other things, was interpreting our current events. Now I do apologize for the sound quality, we were both recording in remote locations, but have a listen. Karen Bollinger, welcome back to this podcast. Thank you, Adeline. Nice to be back. Well, you know, I've had a full year of interviews and you were right there at the start. Can I tell you, the conversation that I had with you was one that I will never forget. It was so special and vulnerable because you trusted me with a story you'd never told the public before of how you were at the top of your career at the Melbourne Convention Bureau and left suddenly with no explanation to the media. And of course, we now know that you had a personal tragedy that saw your son take his own life, which was devastating. And somehow you picked yourself back up and showed the rest of us what true resilience meant, which in a way prepared you for COVID better than the rest of us. And I urge anyone listening, if they haven't heard that interview, to go and listen to episode 11. I promise you will learn something. It was an amazing interview. Also, Karen, the last time that we talked on this podcast a year ago, we were all in a bit of a different headspace. I mean, sure, we all had to endure lockdowns, but it was expected to be over by Christmas. And now it's early October the following year and lockdowns haven't gone away. What are your thoughts about how this year is panning out? Because I'm hearing some event planners saying it's actually been harder this year than it was last year. Is that something that you would agree with? I hear that all the time and and that's actually event planners and in the tourism business. And I think the difference last year was, you're right, we were in lockdown. I know you and I were in Melbourne, so we faced that long lockdown. We came out, we felt revival and we had a couple of other small hiccups. But this next level is really difficult. And I think, I don't know whether, Adelaide, it's about hope, but not necessarily being there. We had hope last year because we were seeing the case numbers fall. Everybody was glued to the 11 o'clock briefing by the Premier. So we could all, you know, sit there and go, oh, they're going down. What we're doing is working. And yet now that's all gone. You know, the case numbers are bouncing back. They're bigger than ever before, particularly when you're talking about New South Wales. So it's actually scary to see the fact that the strategies that you thought would work aren't working. 
And so therefore, what is our strategy going forward and how do we actually prepare for that? And I think that's the difference when you're thinking about preparing. If you're seeing what you do works, it actually does give you hope. When you're seeing what you do not working, then you have to come up with another plan. But I also think there's that and then there's the financial impact and also the soul. You know, people's souls have been destroyed through this because they felt that they could get through last year and then this year started back really well and then we've just gone back into a hole. And I think that that's, you know, the financial implications can't be underestimated and that then therefore impacts, you know, how people's view and how they approach things occur. So it's, I think, probably much tougher now than it was this time last year, if you remember. How do you navigate that when, I mean, obviously there is a connection, huge connection between finance and how well our soul is, you know, in terms of how optimistic we are about the future, whether we can put food on the table for our families. That's hard when you feel like you're out of strategies. You've done your plan B and your plan C and you're like, I don't even know where to start looking for a plan D. So, and some communities are lucky in that they do have some government support, but there are a lot that don't have that government support either. So how do you start getting out of that, that rut? And then also, you know, once you start mentally spiraling down, that actually affects your ability as well to start dreaming and thinking of new ways to solve a few problems. Correct. Because it becomes about survival. You know, innovation and dreaming comes out of a place of safety. Where we're at now is survival. Will we get through? Are we able to pay our bills? What will my business look like? Can I keep people employed? So it becomes a very different ball game. And I think a lot of people felt we did a lot of that last year, but we also remember had that massive government support with JobKeeper and it's absolutely all gone. And so that's, I think, the commentary that people are saying. We got through because we did have support. This year, we don't have support. So yes, there are business programs out there. Yes, there are government supports, but it's not the same as knowing you have a regular income every week to actually help you get through. And I think, you know, the application processes that people have to go through, the loopholes, the inconsistency of, of how information is delivered to us, what we can and can't apply for, really does impact how we feel. You know, the more it gets blocked and harder it becomes, your mindset shifts. And so it's really hard to be positive. And, you know, unfortunately, we do have to have a mindset shift, but we can't have that until we actually, you know, it's like the whole fight or flight. If we get survival right, then we'll be okay. But if we don't, then where do we go from there? You can't look to what the future is and you can't innovate and be different because you're too busy trying to wonder when you'll get your next bill paid and the next meal on the table. So what would be a first step? I mean, if someone is kind of stuck in that thinking, which is they know it's not helping, they just don't know what the next step is. I mean, do you need to look for counsellors? And I'm not even sure how much help that is because resources are so stretched and sometimes you're being told you have to wait for weeks in order to see one. So what would you do if you were in that situation? Yeah. And, and look, I'm probably a good person to talk because as, as you know, when I first lost my son, the first thing I did was actually start to decide where I could get help from because I think I essentially knew I couldn't cope by myself. I'm pretty strong and I'm pretty resilient, but I also knew that the conversations I were having with myself in my head 
were beginning to overtake my ability to act. And in fact, even the conversation isn't a straight conversation. It's not linear. And by the way, it's never logical. So you're always the what ifs, why, how. And that's the conversation many people are probably having. And so for me, and look, fortunately, I wasn't during the COVID time, where I think our resources are absolutely stretched. Um, and I think, it, you know, it's counselling, it's psychiatric help, psychologies, psychologists, it becomes in a various different amount of forms. And, you know, you're right, getting in and access to those people is tricky. But I'd also sit there and say, you can't wait for that either, because if you're not in a good place, it's harder for you to get out. So I think it's actually then becomes around, well, what are the resources I can maybe find? And I think business counselling, we can't forget about that financial coaching. You know, I've spoken to a couple of small business owners who have done some of that, and they've actually felt it's helped. I know the government are providing free resources around that, whether it's relevant or not, I don't know. But I think it's actually about building your community and your network. And I think people understand more than you'll ever know. I think, you know, one of the things for me is when you find your community that get it, it becomes an easier conversation to have. And uh, you talked earlier about my vulnerability, and I probably would sit there and say, if you'd have asked me before that had ever happened to me, I probably wouldn't have been so vulnerable. But I've actually realized you need to be to allow people in to give you a little bit, whether it's support, whether it's advice. And I don't think you can underestimate it. And you'll form your own view in the end, by the way. But I think I'm not averse to kind of getting lots of input. Then I make my own decision. But I want to have a bit of a measured and varied view so I can test what I'm thinking against things. And so I think whether it's looking at online YouTube videos, whether it's speaking to your own community, and I think asking for support and help. I just don't think we can underestimate how sometimes, you know, reaching out to someone who's felt the same probably give you more insights than you were if you think you're alone. Because by the way, we're not alone. The whole of Australia is going through this. So I think we've got to be brave and ask for help. That's really good. With the impact so wide ranging, though, I mean, it's not just the industry, it's the you know, it's whole of society. But within our industry, it's by nature an optimistic industry. It's creative and it's gregarious. You know, that's the industry that we knew when the mental impact has been so wide ranging and huge and deep. And what do you think will look like when we emerge out of this? Can we just jump back into being that optimistic, gregarious, creative industry that we were? Good question. And I think, I want to think there's almost two versions of this, if you like. There is um, groups that want to go back to business as usual and think nothing's changed. And that is the nature of our industry. We love to meet. We love being in the industry because we like people. And I think that that's a natural given. Now, our customers may think a bit differently. And I think that's the conversation that we need to have as an industry. So if you think of all those big corporates, all those associations, who are themselves feeling the impact, not only financially, but what it means to me. And by the way, they do want to meet. They want to get together, but how they meet might actually be different. And I think that's the conversation we need to have about the frequency, the size, who's attending the meetings. You know, they'll start to do trade-off and choices about how many people should or shouldn't go to a meeting. So there's a lot of things in there that need to be attributed for. And I think we have to be prepared for that and we have to start thinking about the scenarios that sit within that and how we actually approach them, let alone that whole overlay of are we open for business, are we not open for business, 
whose borders open, you know, consumer sentiment. There's a whole bunch of stuff in there um, that will impact. And uh, bizarrely enough, I just spent this morning scenario planning with the team, and that's the stuff we talked about, the what-ifs. So if this happens, what do we do there? If that happens, what do we do there? And by the way, it's not linear. And, you know, even just such granular areas of what if New South Wales opens but Victoria doesn't? You know, for a destination like the Gold Coast, incredibly reliant on those two states to drive visitation. But we need both. We don't need one over the other. We need both. But we've got to be very prepared. The fact that one of them may come back sooner, what impact will that actually have? So it's a, it is about thinking of that. You might not have the answers. And by the way, I don't think there's one size fits all. But I think it's we've just got to start getting our industry prepared for what a future would look like and what the fallout will be and then how do we respond to that as a destination. Yeah, actually, I mean, the last time we had a chat on this podcast, you were with PCMA. I know recently you've taken on this role with the Gold Coast and it sounds like you've got a, it sounds like a pivotal role. I mean, we kind of really love, hate the word pivot now. Tell us actually more about this task that you've been given to lead the Gold Coast into its next chapter. So it started off as a business events strategy planning role, uh, which actually, bizarrely enough, I was appointed to do before COVID and then it went on hold during COVID. Um, and as we started coming back out at the end of last year, they asked me if I would come back and take back up the proposal and developing the strategy. So as I did that, they subsequently got a new CEO here on the Gold Coast. She was in obviously very good place when we first started. The borders were open. Everything was going well. And then, you know, the world kind of came crashing down. So what she actually also wanted to do was really think about how she transformed her business and what that looked like. And Adelaine, I applaud her in so many ways because she took a veteran like me who's been around the block. She's only a young CEO. And she said, would you come be with me and sit with me and took it as a very collaborative approach to how do we actually shape our business going forward and what are the key things that we actually need to do and shift around, you know, we came up with the four pillars of advocacy, you know, access, partnerships, and of course, people. And so how do we actually build that? And how do we shape business for that? So there's been a massive restructure, we've created new departments, new teams, new ways of working. And so it's actually, for me, that's really in a wheelhouse I love to play in, thinking a bit more strategically across the destination. And so it's been great to get up here and actually deliver that. It's not been easy, I can 100% tell you, because it's been a tough time to do it. But I'd also sit there and say, I look at that about the excitement, about what we can deliver. And I often say to Trish, the CEO, by the time we get to this time next year, if we achieve everything that we say we're going to do, then we will be in a very good place as a destination, but also a bit more game-changing. We don't want to come out of this doing the same. We want to really think a bit differently. And so that's what's exciting to me. And so that's what I'll be doing with her for a few more months. And I still do my other little projects, but I'm pretty much here four days a week. Um, feels like seven some days, <laughs> but um, that's what happens when you do this, this business. Um, it's just the way the tourism is, but it's nice to be on the Gold Coast. I'm getting to go and explore and really discover some of the stuff that's up here. It's quite amazing. If you follow my LinkedIn, you'll see that I'm finding some really fascinating stuff that I think none of us really knew the Gold Coast had. So I'm excited. I get to go and do these. I went to Jalurgal, which is a beautiful Indigenous tour the other day off the headlands at Burley. 
I did not really know that we had a full-on Indigenous culture here on the Gold Coast. So it was really lovely to do that and actually get in there and hear their story. So it's great. I think if you were going to be in border-restricted state, <laughs> the Gold Coast is not bad at all a choice. That is fantastic. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I know. I am jealous. What if, I mean, when you talk about restructuring, which a lot of people are doing at this stage, you just need to plan for the future and emerge and strategize for a different world. When you think about restructuring and trying to build in flexibility at the same time, because we know what this world is like now, do you make it kind of 50% structure, 50% flexible, or is it 100, 100? How do you see these things? It's a real mixed bag. So I guess what we decided to do was look at the culture of the organization and our business practices. So yes, we've had a strategy and then we're like, well, how do we actually bring that to life? And to your point, you've got to have a plan or a roadmap, but then how you tackle it according to what's going on is in fact the thing that changes. So we've built a team or we're building a team, it's not built by no means yet, that will actually be much more responsive to the challenges of today. And I think this is the challenge a lot of businesses have. They've had, you know, a structure, a system, some processes that they've actually had to change. And I think, you know, all those words like pivoting and agile are 100% in the business. So what we're looking to do is how do we build an organization that does respond to the external environment, yet at the same time has some incredibly good foundations to really think very differently in how we approach our business going forward and how we attract visitors. So you're almost running parallel plays, if you like. You've got one that's we would never have thought that we were doing marketing to locals to get them to go and spend in local businesses. That's just never been what DGC have done. But we've got to because guess what? No one else is traveling. So we've got to keep stimulating demand in some of our assets that we have here on the Gold Coast. And then the other thing is then how when we do open, what do we want to look like? And then who do we want to attract? And by the way, we'll be going into the highly contested market that anybody's been that's cluttered with destinations trying to get their visitors there. So what do we need to do that's a little bit different to everybody else to make sure that we regain market share and in fact grow our market share? So they're the kind of conversations we have. So it's a little bit of pivot business as usual, but also let's think differently from a longer term or probably a midterm horizon. You know, we're kind of looking at next into June next year. That's as far I think as you can go at this point in time. But even then, that's a long. And we look at the Doherty stats and we're like, well, it's 180 days. And we're like, no, no, we need to go a bit further than that. So that's how we're responding, though. You know, you're taking it all on board. It sounds like, I mean, you've had so much to do, I guess, you know, and always something to look forward to. There's been projects. But we earlier talked about the community within our industry that has been struggling with the mental health impacts with the extended lockdowns. Do you feel that for yourself, your journey has been quite different just because your story has been a little bit different? You've been thrown a lot of hard rocks in life and that's built your resilience. So that's given you a, a different outlook on how you process things that come your way. You somehow managed to just turn them around and you interpret them differently now. Look, I do interpret things differently because, but you know what? It's not all quite so linear either. I absolutely do have my moments. You know, I, th- I certainly think probably even, I think probably lockdown number five in Melbourne, I think I was done. I was like, I cannot do this anymore. This is so depressing. And yes, you get up and you go to work and you go through the motions. 
but sometimes you just can't feel joy in some of that. And so sometimes, you know, for me, what I do is I have a really good network of girlfriends that I sit on the phone with and we chew the fat and cry, hug each other, you know, don't do all those 10 things like, oh, it'll be all right, because guess what? It's not. But it's also, well, how do we actually deal with this? And I think that's where, you know, your mindset has to shift and change a little bit. And so for me, I am more resilient and I know that. I know I've got it in spades. But it's also not to say that I don't actually have my tough times and really question, you know, what's the point. But I am probably a little bit more on, you know, a friend of mine said to me the other day, and I love this saying, she said, I'm like a well of optimism. And I said to her, she actually is. And I said, you are. And I said, I just love that. I love the fact that you really, truly believe you keep going into your well and bring it out. And and she actually is. Like she's incredibly bubbly and buoyant and nothing really gets her down. And I thought, yeah, you know, I wish I had that well of optimism. And I do probably 90% of the time, but I'd sit there and say I'm not resistant to tough stuff. Like, you know, watching that thing on the TV with Melbourne yesterday. I don't know about you, Adelaide, but I was mortified for our city. And, you know, it actually depressed me and it depressed me from a mankind more than anything else. I just thought, how do people treat other people with such disrespect? And it made me angry and frustrated. Tell us what happened because I haven't actually watched that piece of news. So if you can share what actually happened. Well, the first day, you know, the construction workers went out on to uh, protest about getting the vaccine. And of course, then Dan Andrews said we were closing down the construction industry for two weeks because there's some significant transmission in there. And then a bunch of people got together yesterday and marched through the streets of Melbourne and were incredibly disrespectful and disruptive, I guess. And I don't think it was union workers. They portrayed themselves to be union and tradies. And I think there was a lot of them that probably weren't, but they were masquerading as that. You know, they were disrespectful to the police. They were disrespectful to themselves, to nurses, to, you know, us. And so to be walking through the streets and blockading streets and, you know, throwing projectiles at, you know, the police, it's just not on. And it will not solve the fact that we're in lockdown. Like, it just doesn't work. And so it just really dismayed me. I actually turned it off on the news last night. And normally I watch that. I'm glued to what's going on. But I thought, I just can't do it. They don't deserve my eyes. There's many, many small businesses that have been locked down for weeks that are not going out there and violently protesting. And they're adhering to the rules because they know that this is what they've got to do. They don't like it, but they've got to do it. And then you get these thugs who get out there doing doing that. So for me, hope I don't upset anybody on your podcast, but I just sit there thinking, you know, it's humanity, this. This is like respect for each other in a human world, right? It's kind of like 101. I'm challenged by stuff like that. It bothers me. I'd like to think that we all want to be treated fair and equally in our environment. And they're not. Yeah. I know you have a hard stop very soon and I really do appreciate your time, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the incentive travel market. Do you think it will change, you know, having gone through this journey together? And as you said, as an industry, we're in one mode, (laughs) constantly optimistic, but our customers may be in a different mode. Where do you think this falls in terms of incentive travel? A good question. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I was reading something the other day about Singapore, how they are doing incentive trips into Germany. And apparently it's gone off. Like their people are still wanting to go there, but it's highly controlled. I think it'll probably come back. 
I don't know whether it will be the size. If you remember those amazing groups that we would get out of China, I think that's a long way off coming back and there's a whole other conversation about why that is. I don't think it's lack of desire. I think it's a political scenario that will drive that. But I think it will come. I think it will be small and I think it will be very considered about where they are actually going. And that some of that's around, you know, safety, visa access, about their requirements to quarantine or not quarantine. So there's a whole bunch of scenarios that sit in that about why companies will choose or what they will choose and where they will go. But I think the research through PCMA last year we did, they said that incentives was going to be one of the last things that would come back. So who knows? Okay. Well, it sounds like a really long journey is ahead for incentive travel to return to look anything like what it used to. Karen, with all that you've gone through, coupled with the CEO and leadership life that you've had, can I just ask you finally, how do you make decisions when new opportunities come your way? I mean, a lot of us are taking more lifestyle considered decisions now, financial considered decisions. What sort of questions do you ask whenever you presented different opportunities? So there's a couple of questions in there. And, you know, so I've had my own little business chugging along. It's probably changed a little bit over time. And I would sit there and say, probably one of the first things is the appetite real for the destination I'm going into. So if I'm going to go and work with a group of people, and that's what appealed to me about the Gold Coast is, do they want me there to write a strategy and document it? Or do they want me there because they actually really want change? And you know that as you're going through the process about who they want you to engage with and the conversations you have. So that probably is for me a priority. Um, and then lifestyles, absolutely. So, <laughs> so I've been working way too hard. I've had way too many projects. So I'm incredibly grateful that I've been able to work pretty much full time since, since this, um, lockdown. But I also know that people like me with the skills and expertise are required in business. So for me, if I can do three days a week, I'd be delighted, but that's not going to happen, I don't think, for a while. Um, so lifestyle does come into it. And then, of course, I'm a believer in people will pay for what they find value in. So the financials will come. And to be honest with you, I've been very fortunate in the fact that they have because I think people know when they get me, they get a really good job. And that's not a plug for an ad, but it's actually made me realize my self-worth when I'm actually thinking about who I should work for and whether how genuine they are, it will be, I think, always in how much they're prepared to pay as well to a degree. That sounded terribly commercial, didn't it? <laughs> so, but hey, it's a reality. No, that's great. I mean, you're the sort of person I think, you know, you're one of the genuine people in the industry where there is strategy and there's heart as well. It's not one or the other. And you combine so many things so well. So you're I can imagine anyone would be considered a pleasure to work with you, whether it's short term or long term. So you've been so fabulous, Karen. I don't want to hold you up any longer, but I'll put your connect details in our show notes as well. And I will let you go so you can catch your next meeting. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Bye-bye. And hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd also love to hear from you. What do you need more of from this podcast? What do you like a lot and what not so much? Let me know by email at uponarrivalpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review this show if you like it. That would help other people find this show. I'll be back next week to uncover more stories and strategies for a successful future. Till then, cheers. Cheers.